It's 2008. Stage actor Daniel Hovell slit his own throat on stage after his prop knife was mistakenly replaced with the real one, but he survived. Jessica Cox became the world's first licensed armless pilot, and a combination of PTSD and alcohol almost led to Hawkeye and Falcon assembling their Avengers on the floor of an army barracks. GameZillaMedia.com It's time for the last action podcast! Pop quiz, hot shot! Hey, motherfucker. I feel the need for need for speed. Please, you can kill it. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Come with me if you want to live. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the Last Action Podcast. I am LPJ, and with me, returning again, finally, after an episode hiatus, <laughs> because he's not a mother, uh, Hovercraft Joe, uh, Joe, Protein Shake, we what, haven't decided yet. Whatever you like. Um, how's it going, LPJ? You You're know, right. I, I was here the last episode. You were technically If you here. listen closely, I yelled Fanny at one point. You did yell Fanny. Because I thought they should have rated the movie in Fanny's, oh. number of Fanny's. That's what I was trying to convey, but no one picked up on it. But anyways, we're here now. We're not there. No, we are not there. We are not talking about fannies this time. And we're not alone. We are not alone. We have two very special guests with us. Do you want to introduce yourself? Or <laughs> do we have we have Punky Ninja, Sarah. Hey guys. And Brad. Yes. That's yeah. it. Brad's name is short and sweet. And then <laughs> Punky Ninja, I'm probably just gonna call her Sarah. But I like Punky Ninja. I know. We'll try and remember. <clears throat> we will try and remember. Punky Ninja. Punky Ninja, Punky Ninja. Okay, we're good. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're watching, uh, we watched The Hurt Locker. Right, yes. 2008, uh, Catherine Bigelow. Uh, I had run through, we went through a list of probably four movies, I think. Before it, was, you, it was longer like than three that. Or, three, it definitely longer. It was with several movies before we finally decided, and by finally decided on one, I'm like, eh, that one we already did. That one we already did. We're saving that one for something else. We can't quite do that one because it doesn't quite work. Uh, and so we landed on the Hurt Locker. So what, I mean, obviously... I, it was fun. It's fun, hear, it's fun hearing all this behind the scenes because you just texted me and said we're doing the Hurt Locker. Yeah, you and don't I, <laughs> you don't see half the shit I go through and, and, trying to like put this stuff together. And I, and I said, "Is it hard to find?" And you were like, "Netflix, bitch." <laughs> it was on Netflix. Yeah, that's that's what <laughs> that's he said to me. Exactly that was the text. So anyway, sorry. Yeah. So uh, so what 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 drew you to uh, to the Hurt Locker? Have you? I assume you had seen it before. I had not seen it before, oh. but it was on my list of movies that I had wanted to see because it was critically acclaimed. Yeah. First woman director to win an Oscar. Uh-huh. So there was some girl power stuff going on that sure. made me interested. And you shot down all my other choices. So. <laughs> I did kind of do that, didn't I? <laughs> wow. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was a little, a little harsh on that one. Uh, Brad, when, you, when, when, when was the first time you saw it? The first time we watched it. <laughs> really? So neither yeah. of you had seen this had before? Not, had not seen it. Interesting. Before. I had not seen... I had only seen maybe the same 10 minutes of the movie twice. I, I had never seen it before either, so... Interesting. This I gotta might, say, this, it was a really good pick. This, this, I'm, I'm happy with where our movie choice landed. I think yes. this is a last action podcast first where no, nobody on the show had seen the movie until we watched it. This is this. an absolute first. This is going to be a real, a real bummer for our your thoughts and feelings about this movie. It's, it's like, not. I have lots of them. <laughs> oh, interesting. Very interesting, yeah. Alright, well I guess let's get into it. You're right. Catherine Bigelow uh, is the 
director of this and um, producer as well. And and this this what's interesting about this movie is it largely started as an independent film. I mean, it really was very very low budget, um, fifteen million. Yeah. And it didn't have wide release until a year after it had been initially released yeah, in like smaller markets. Well, I feel like they debuted it at some like film festivals or something right. probably in 2008, and then it got the the wide release in 2009. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so you're right, Catherine Bigelow, uh, famed director of like Point Break. <laughs> well, that's the thing too. Like, I kind of looked through her movies, and I didn't. It wasn't like she had directed a ton of stuff. You said Point Break. I noticed K19, The Widowmaker. Yep. And then some things afterwards, you know, like uh, I remember Zero Dark Thirty, but yeah. that was after. It was this after one. this, yes, yeah, yeah. twenty twelve. And then Detroit was another movie that she directed. Um, Strange Days. Strange Days is one of those movies where I don't know. Have you seen Strange Days? I have not seen Strange Days. It's very bizarre. I, I think I remember that it exists, but that's yeah, about it's it. a very bizarre movie. But she was at this point primarily known for like Point Break, okay. is really what she was was, was known for. Um, she's really the only female kind of action director that I know of. Right. Yeah. I would agree with that. I mean, I really, other than, I mean, last time we talked about, uh, Susan Fogel for, um, the, the spy, uh, spy who dumped me, but she wasn't <laughs> even really an action director. She had, she brought somebody on to do all the action for her. Right. But Catherine Bigelow seems right at home doing that. Yeah. Agreed. Uh... Written by Catherine, or no, I'm sorry, not written by, written by uh, Mark Bull, who was a, an embedded journalist with, uh, back, was it, 04? Uh, yeah, I think it was 04, they said the, he was. The, the movie set Baghdad 2004. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it says he was embedded with a, with a bomb squad on Iraq for two weeks in 2004, and that's kind of where all these ideas and stuff for the film came from. Right. Fun, fun fact, Jeremy Renner's character is actually based on several real people. Huh. It's like a conglomeration of actual people that Mark Bull knew when he was embedded. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. So there's a stereotype for the kind of person who has to live that on a day-to-day basis? Is what you're saying? I'm not, I'm not saying that. I wouldn't say stereotype. I think you're right, though. I think there is a certain, there's a certain um, personality that's yeah, drawn certain, to this type of... A certain mindset, a certain kind of uh, yeah personality that's going to be able to handle this kind of job or mm-hmm. if you will yeah, i mean they, it's pretty intense yeah they describe they they kind of describe his jeremy Renner's character as sort of an adrenaline junkie almost like he has to have that high stress environment just to feel normal i could see that yeah. which that's something they it, bring it, up yeah in the they kind of illustrate they, it in the yeah. movie yeah mm-hmm. which uh, i'm just going to be honest at this point uh, when i refer i'm going to call him hawkeye that's the fine. entire <laughs> i'm going to call him hawkeye and i'm going to call him falcon and i'm going to mention that wasp was in this movie and Killian's, because we all know I'm always pushing the comic book agenda here on the Last Action Podcast, so just just know that. Fair I'm enough. And I had with. a I had a very weak pop quiz that was going to be named the four actors, but oh. uh, <laughs> oops, sorry, done and done. <laughs> so there we go. Um, uh, so we, we kind of um, talked about uh, the people in this movie. So we mentioned Jeremy Renner, obviously Anthony Mackie. Um, there's some uh, Brian Garrity, I guess, is the guy that plays specialist Owen Eldridge. I didn't, I guess, recognize him from anything else. I don't know if anyone else has anything on him. Yeah, I don't really, I didn't really notice him from, I didn't really know him from much. I mean, he's a TV actor for the most part. He um, was in Jarhead. Oh, no, okay. he was in Jarhead. That's okay. right. Okay. Um, I had not recognized him at all, so that's <laughs> Yeah, he did some, like, Law and Order he was in, uh, Chicago Med, Chicago PD, Chicago okay. Fire. He's in all those shows. Boardwalk Empire he had a small role in. 
Uh, True Blood, he did three episodes. Does he always have the bowl cut? <laughs> he might. Um, but, and then I think some of the other people in are in it very briefly. Like, obviously, Guy Pierce is in the beginning of the movie. Um, and then... Ralph Fiennes. Yeah, or Voldemort, right? Yep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the whole time, Ralph Fiennes was on the screen. I was like, Voldemort has a gun. Quiz, <laughs> hot shot. Uh-oh. So they are obviously the two most bankable stars at this point in time. Yes. How much total screen time do the two of them Ooh. combine have? It's not a lot. Combined. Yeah. You know, and I saw this, but I didn't write it down, so I don't have an exact. I would say it's like 10 minutes. I'm going to say 14. Well, go in the middle. 12. It is It is less than 10 minutes. Wow. So it's a little over nine, but less combined. The two of them, less than 10 minutes. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, because Guy Pierce's scene at the beginning is not long at all. And no. Vol- Voldemort's is a little longer, but still not. But he still gets killed, like, mo- yeah, like I guess that's true. very that, quickly that in that scene. That scene is long, but he doesn't last very long. No, yet, not so. at all. But both of them are great in their mm-hmm. tiny little roles. Yeah, they were really good. I always, I'll always love uh, Guy Pierce because of Memento. I don't yeah. think that's enough of an action movie to ever do in this podcast, but it's definitely not. Damn, I, w- I kind of wish it was. But it's not. <laughs> that, that movie would be difficult to do. <laughs> It'd be very He's in Prometheus. Do. You could do that. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Um, did we, I, I just? I, I, and by the way, I don't know what you named this net worth segment last podcast. What was it action pay? <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I like action. I don't like pay. it either. But it's, uh, I couldn't think of another one. But I, I only looked into it for a couple of the people here, so I, I don't know if we want to run through it. Now, what do you guys think for Anthony Mackie? What kind of network net worth is Falcon himself dealing with these days? Oh, Anthony Mackie. I mean, he's been in what four movies at this point? Well, I mean, he's in been in other stuff. No, four Marvel movies okay. at, at this point. And he was in obviously this movie. He was in Eight Mile. He was in Eight Mile. <laughs> million Dollar Baby. I'm oh. gonna say twenty million. Okay. Punky Ninja. Fourteen. Brad. Mm, not even the slightest clue. Just take a stab. All right, sixteen million. Okay, you're all a little high. He's only eight million. Mm. Okay. Okay. And That's then, fine. And then the other one I did was uh, was Hawkeye, Jeremy Renner. What do you think for Jeremy Renner? I think he's probably ten million. Ten million. Okay. Guess. Fourteen. Guess. I'm gonna stick with sixteen. You guys are all low. He's fifty million dollars. Oh, wow. Jeremy Renner's fifty million. Fifty million dollars. He's in a lot of stuff. He's in a lot of the Marvel movies. Oh, he did that Bourne movie. He did that Bourne movie. I, think I just, just assumed he spent all his money, just like the movie. Ten dollars <laughs> here for a bad movie. Fifteen there for. He's bad spending movie. it all on bootleg DVDs. He was in DVDs. a lot of good movies. He was in American Hustle. Yeah, I think he. I think he just works steadily in a lot of stuff. So I think he just, you know. I He's pretty versatile too. Yeah, he does comedy. He was in that uh, movie uh, that just came out last summer. Tag. It was a comedy. Oh movie. yeah, that's yeah. right. He was, yeah. he was good in that. He oh, was that's a, the one where he broke his arms. Yeah, he also has a small role in the movie The House that stars uh, Will Ferrell and uh, Amy Poehler. That's a pretty good one. Oh yeah. But anyways, he's in a lot of stuff, so I think that's kind of how he acquired so much. Oh, fair network, enough. So fair enough. Go ahead. Oh no, that, that, I only had the two because those oh. are the. I didn't look up Brian Garrity because I didn't think he is. Net worth would be interesting. So, all right, come on. I want to guess fourteen again. <laughs> <laughs> I do have. Uh, I guess normally around this time, I mentioned that the the Rotten Tomatoes score for this was ninety seven percent, which is seems about right for how uh, acclaimed this movie was, and the audience score was eighty four percent. So, still pretty high for both of them. I had forgotten that this movie was as critically acclaimed. Like, yeah, I remember. I remember hearing Jeremy Renner was really good in it. But I didn't remember. I forgot that Catherine Bigelow won the award for this. It was nominated for nine Academy Awards. Yeah. How many did it win? 
Six. Six. Yeah. Six of six of the. Can yeah. you name those six? Uh, not off the top of my head. I haven't written in my notes. So. <laughs> <laughs> They're written in my notes too. I didn't memorize it. Uh, I know it won uh, best picture, yep. best director. I think best sound editing, best sound mixing. Um, Did it win best screenplay? A best orig- best ad- original screenplay, maybe. No, uh, it was film editing. Best film, film editing. editing. Okay. okay, and it lost like best actor and best cinematography, and I think. Uh, yeah, Renner lost to Jeff Bridges for uh, Crazy Heart. Which is funny because I I think uh, this was the same year. This is when a- Avatar, Avatar yeah. was nominated, and they say that one of the things is that James Cameron like was like told Catherine Bigelow is like you got to do this movie. Yep, this, you, this is the movie for you to do, and then she did it, and it beat him in the best picture race. Yeah, which is kind of funny. So because they used to be married. Right, I, I think, forgot about that. I think you yes. talked you talked about that in one of your I we think, did, maybe yeah. your Terminator episode. I think it was a Terminator it, episode, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah so uh, the movie essentially is about. Um, uh, do we want to get into that portion tonight? Yeah, we, we, we can. We can start to get into the plot. Yeah. <clears throat> so the movie is essentially about a bomb disposal team uh, in Iraq. That they're three man teams uh, that go in and they get called in to basically remove any kind of explosives that are in the way of operations or in dangerous areas or things that could potentially cause threats to uh, the rest of the rest of the troops that are in that general area. Mm-hmm. Um, and the movie starts off with Anthony Mackie and Brian Garrity uh, and Guy Pierce. They're getting ready to dispose, getting ready to do some bomb disposal. Right. And Guy Pierce is the person in the suit actually doing the disposal. Something goes wrong. And um, and he gets blown up, essentially. Well, and I think initially they were... Because that was confusing, because they were sending something down in the robot. Like, he wasn't initially in the suit. They were sending the robot down. It had, like, that cart attached to it. Right. Like, they were going to do something different. Yeah, so then he had they to were get gonna out of try the suit. And They were going to explode the uh, ordinance, explode the, the bomb that's there with some C4 um, by bringing the robot out to do it so that, you know, a person didn't have to go out and do it. Right. And, and I, the car broke. And I thought one of the interesting things, like, right off the bat with that is, like, you kind of, you don't realize in this movie so realistic is that, like, he didn't even seem to be that close to, like, that bomb, like, when it went off, you know, and he was... That's what I said. Yeah, so it's, like, it really shows you that, like, all the stuff you see in TV and movies is just basically bullshit about bombs and stuff like that, because he was, he seemed like he was pretty far away, and he was gone yeah like, it wasn't the shrapnel that killed him it was the shockwave from the blast that actually it, it seems like correct. it really cracked yeah because the they, sh- they showed like the inside of like the mask it and it was just bloody. blood yeah, yeah so so i did get a very brief physics lesson when i paused that and said he was so far away from that how did he die and my favorite boyfriend says oh is that me yeah <laughs> oh I've, i always forget that <laughs> um I had a much better explanation of that when we watched the movie. I'm kind of blanking on Something it. about the force and the air and how it would push him and it would sever your brain stem and then mm-hmm. that's how you get the blood yes. in the helmet. I, I don't remember it exactly, but it, it the the explanation satisfied me enough where <laughs> we were able to continue watching the movie. Yeah, the concussive blast by itself is enough to to really damage you and, yeah. and, and, and kill you. That's really That's why they have... People stand so far back when they're doing uh, like testing uh, mm. of things, and why they have them behind plexiglass shields it is more for the concussive blast, not even so much for the shrapnel that could be flying. Yes. Gotcha. And there's your 75 meter perimeter that they <laughs> That's continually right. spoke of. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so once once Guy Pierce's kind of exit, we're introduced to uh, Jimmy Renner or Hawkeye, as I would call him. He's kind of the replacement for him joining the bomb unit. We're introduced to him kind of just like rocking out to heavy metal <laughs> by himself in the barracks. Yeah, he kind of seems like a. Um, he just doesn't seem like he's focused on what he needs to be doing. He seems very aloof almost. Yeah. Uh, especially compared to who he's replacing. Guy yeah. Pierce was very by the book, it seemed like, very, very much on task. Jerry Renner seems to be the complete opposite of that. He so seems to kind of fly by the seat of What I liked pants. about that music blasting when you first meet him is you get this glimpse, you get this insight into his character and who we're going to be seeing for the next two hours. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. And we're kind of, we're, we're given these touchstones throughout the whole movie because it's like building toward how many days left they have like in their rotation. So like the first kind of like one we're given is that they have 38 days left in, it's Bravo Company. So 38 days left in Bravo Company's rotation. And we're kind of given those as they're working down to the end of their rotation. So the first one is 38 days. Right. And that's that's where Guy Pierce is killed. Is that that thirty eight day mark? Um, I think thirty eight is the first day with Jeremy Renner because they they give yeah. you thirty eight days and it's their first call that they're going out to with Jeremy Renner. Yes, yeah, it's now where you crew. first meet Bravo oh, Company that's and right. then you get the thirty eight. Yeah. Okay, that's right. Is it, yeah. So um, that's when Mackie said, uh, well, uh, Eldridge said. 39 days, and Mackie replied quickly with a 38 if we survive today. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, so they're kind of like, he's introduced, like you said, and then we kind of learn that there's 38 days left. They get called out to like a position. And, and basically, I, I mean, we'll go through them all, but the movie to me is kind of like a scene of it's like four or five different kind of vignettes, if you will, where we're all given kind of like an intro of how many days are left, and then the scene will unfold and kind of wrap up, and then we're kind of given another and working our way down. Yeah, there's not really a specific cohesive plot to this. There's no real thread that goes through the whole thing. It is seri- It is really just a bunch of bunch of days Yeah, is essentially what it is. Days in the light, almost, document- almost documentary style. Right. Which... Which gives you an so, insight to what's happening over there, though, right? I mean, there really oh, yeah, isn't anything yeah. else. Your your whole world is revolving around you wake up and immediately you're put into the face of danger. And yeah, they're literally living day by day, like yes. just trying to get through that next day. And that really seems to be what the whole movie is about, just trying to get through the next day. Well, and really the only through line is that kid that's selling DVDs. Well, what's yes. interesting to me is that, like, I mean, just to kind of, you know, we're seeing one of these things that they're doing, but like the thing I was reading when they were talking about the writer, that Mark Bowell, is it? Bull, yeah. Like when he would bowl, <laughs> when he was embedded, he said that they would go out on these kind of calls like 10 to 15 times a day. They would have to suit up and go for the. So it's like we're seeing one instance in a day, but they would be doing this like 10, 15 times a day. They'd have to go out and do all this. So it's crazy to think like you see one scene of it and it's super tense and like nerve wracking. And it's like they were going to do it dozens of times a day well and that was one of the things they brought up the the commanding off after they at one of the points jeremy renner disables a bomb and kind of does it his own way the commanding officer the colonel there um asks him how many he's disabled and it's something like over 400 873 oh that's right 873 873 873 bombs yeah that he's disabled that's a ton. Yeah. Well, I mean, if your your rotation is that many days and you're doing up to like maybe 15 bombs you're disposing a day. Sure. But yeah. 
That's that's crazy. So like, so the first one they kind of go to, it's kind of more of an introduction. I mean, of how Jeremy Renner's going to operate. He kind of doesn't where Guy Pierce is really by the books and I'm going to do all this. He like immediately kind of just throws on the suit and starts walking and doesn't really, you know, do kind of, I guess, the things that you would probably normally do in that situation. Right. Yeah. He really does not go by the book. Takes his headphones off at one point in one of them. Uh, it, it takes his suit off at one point because he just wants to be comfortable if he's going to blow up anyway. Um, yeah, he, he does sort of his own thing. But what that does is that pushes his teammates out of their comfort zone. It, absolutely, it does. Well, I do like that that first one, I think, is the first one where he finds like the bomb and he like defuses it, and then he's like, oh, there's like a secondary bomb. And mm-hmm. is that the one where he's like tracing the wire and he like pulls it up and it's like, it's Surrounded like six, yeah, it's like six, six bombs yeah. like That's all right, together. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, he's just so like, <laughs> it's like, he's just so cool. He's like not rattled by like anything in it. Like even when he finds there's like six more bombs, he's just like, oh, okay. And just like, yep. so like all right, the work. this is what I got to do. So this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> the way he works through them methodically is actually pretty impressive. Yeah. Right? yeah it Definitely. really is. Yeah. And yeah, he. I think he found um, Mackie more unnerving than the bombs themselves. Yeah, yeah, which is why I took the headset off. I would imagine. Yes. And they say, um, I, and I guess I didn't look into this enough, but maybe someone has answered for me because they talk about how Hawkeye <laughs> was previously like a ranger. Is that is like if you get into like bomb disposal, is it it's, is it just you are called from different areas of the military? How does that work? You're a, yeah. You you basically you um you apply for it. So okay. just like anything, just like any specialist position, like a sniper, you start... I have a friend of mine who uh, was in the Army, and he was training to be a sniper. So he went to, like, the sniper kind of school that they have within the Army. Okay. But he started off as just, like, a regular Army infantry trooper, and then I'm sure I'm butchering all of these titles. Right, no. But uh, but you train, and then you, you try out, and you get accepted to... Okay. This particular specialty. So you would be in the army and then be like, "Hey, I want to be in the the bomb disposal," unit, right? And then you would train to do it. Okay. Yeah, and that was one of the comments they made: is it's always a certain type of person that kind of gets drawn to certain positions. Okay. So they kind of have a good idea of what to look for, and they all generally kind of operate. They have the same mindset. Right. Okay. Gotcha. And that's that's what I was curious about. So, um, so that that's kind of the first bomb disposal, the one with the multiple bonds, and it's kind of an introduction to how Jeremy Renner's going to do business in this, and how he's kind of at odds with uh, with Falcon and and, and um, uh, what's uh, Eldridge? <laughs> thank you. Um, the next, so that's thirty eight days. The next one we're given is thirty eight, thirty seven days left. That's the one where it's the car bomb outside the UN facility, or they right. believe there's a bomb in the car. Um, and they, they find in the trunk, there's like a big stack of bombs in the trunk, but he can't find like the detonator, right? That's what he's looking for. Yep. So, so he's looking he, for the trigger device. He's looking for the trigger. So he's in the car, just like tearing it apart, trying to find it. That's the one where he throws his headset off because they're, yep. bas- they're basically like, hey, everyone's clear in the building. We're, it's fine. We're just going to blow it. But he like won't give up like searching for the detonator, the trigger device. Uh, right. can, can someone explain how he puts the car out, because this is the one where the car is on fire. Oh, that's right. He puts the fire out and then immediately touches the car. How is that possible? How it's, did he not burn his himself? It's not possible. <laughs> okay. That's, I mean, a, yeah, that's right, because there's a dude on the building who shoots, like, the gas tank, and the whole car. thing catches yeah. on fire, and yeah. then he puts out the car. I f- totally forgot about that mm-hmm. part, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is impossible that it would be that hot and that he would be able to well, just... When he was in the front of the car, they showed him grabbing towards the car a couple times. And yeah, then, they did do that. And then lifting, but to your point, right, if if it's engulfed in flames, it's uh, in the middle of the desert, 
yeah. probably didn't cool off as quickly as they would have liked you to believe. That's also the one where he d- takes off like the entire bomb suit uh-huh. too. Because if he's gonna die, he's gonna die comfortable. Yeah, so yeah. he just takes out. He's so and he's like he goes to the whole car. He eventually finds it though. Well, I realize you wouldn't make it through that car. If you were in that bomb suit, there's That's no true. way. Yeah. So he couldn't have been seat. a liability to himself yeah. had he tried to to muscle through there in the suit. That's fair. And he eventually finds it. It's like somehow connected to the windshield wipers or something. I didn't quite get that because the windshield wipers are going at one point in the car. And yeah, I didn't back. know where. I didn't know exactly where. It was somewhere under the car, right. basically. Is but he, where it but is. he eventually finds it and diffuses it, despite yep. like Falcon's protest. That it's like, hey, the building's clear. We don't need to be doing this anymore. That's like I said when he throws his headset down and continues to do it. Right. And, I and think, he saves the triggering device from, like, all these different and bombs. I, and I think that's the one where, like... Momentum, after, yeah. I think that's the one where afterwards where uh, Falcon punches him in the face. Yes, it, it is. because he took his headset off. Yeah, he says, never take your headset off again, after, and he, pun- he punches yep. him in the face. So, yeah. And, that, and that's when that uh, that colonel or general or whatever comes over, and he's like, oh, my gosh. He's, like, going to... He's like, you're a crazy boy. i never seen that. Wild Mama. man. Wild. Yeah. Yep. You're a wild man. That's when he asks him how many def- how many bombs he defused. And, that's and when he also asks, what's the best way to defuse a bomb? And uh, James says, the way you don't die, sir. <laughs> Which is surprisingly profound from this guy who is supposed to be reckless and an adrenaline junkie. Yep. You realize at that point, maybe he doesn't actually want to die. Yeah. Right. Um. So uh, we're kind of also in this this little vignette, if we will, we're introduced to a subplot where uh, Eldridge, he's been talking to like, uh, it's a doctor? like He's I'm, like a, he's a colonel, but I think he's like a... A psychiatrist. He's a psychiatrist. Okay. He has the, yeah, he has the rank of colonel, though. And he's kind of just been talking to him. I think I think initially it's kind of about like what happened with Guy Pierce because there was like a little thing that we kind of skipped over with the Guy Pierce thing where the guy with the trigger... They saw him come out of the building, and he didn't shoot him. Like he could have, he had a chance to shoot the guy, and he didn't before he blew up the bomb. I thought that, that was a cell phone. Well, it was, it was a yeah. cell phone trigger, though. He like okay. triggered it from the cell yeah. phone, so he didn't shoot the guy when he had the chance, and that's what led to Guy Pierce blowing up. And so he kind of blames himself. So he's been talking right. to this guy. So it's kind of woven through a little bit throughout. But that's we're first introduced in that one, and we see that later on too with a uh, character development. Yeah, um, as. Uh, Staff Sergeant James gives right. him that opportunity again, saying, I, I need you to step up to be, you know, part of this team. Right. And when you see a threat, take care of it yourself. Stop asking for permission. Yeah. And you see that generally kind of throughout the movie is uh, Jeremy Renner is kind of, he, he's challenging the other two to sort of rise above where they've been, the kind of status quo they seem to be at. Right. Um, and they don't even realize that that's what he's doing. Uh, and, and eventually they kind of figure out that he is full of shit and he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. And they just sort of start to, to trust him. Right. Yes. Um, As Punky Ninja said, he took them out of their comfort zone on every occasion that he possibly could. Yeah, you're right. Yep. Um, so the next kind of vignette starts. It's 23 days left in the rotation. Um, that's the one where they're <laughs> we're kind of in a, they're in the middle of the desert and they're like disposing of they they blow up one bomb and they're like oh we got another one to go and he's like oh hold on I left my gloves down there and that's where they have that like it's like it's not played for laughs at all where like Falcon has that conversation with them where they're they're basically talking about like hey maybe we should detonate this while he's down there but at that point they're considering their safety the safety yeah. of the team yeah. because this reckless Yahoo is putting them in danger. Yeah, they, he hasn't earned their trust yet. 
And uh, yeah, and they you could yeah they're they're yeah. being serious. It's an in, yeah it's, that's what's interesting about because like in another movie or something that would have been played for kind of like laughs like oh we don't like this guy we can but they were like dead serious and they're kind of both considering it but the, they end up not doing it obviously. Those right. two are definitely going home. So they are thirty three. What did you just say? It, it, we're, days? At, we're at twenty three days. Twenty three days. Yeah, they're so twenty four days away from going home. Yeah. Um, and of course, Wildman is looking at another rotation. Yeah. So I, yeah, they they kind of they want to get out, <laughs> and he doesn't seem to care. Kind of, or seemingly doesn't really care what happens to himself at all. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. I uh, think it shows another side of him, though. If you walk through all of these different vignettes, every one of them, there's the challenge he wants to take, and he knows he can figure out what this you know riddle is to each one of the bombs. So I feel like it almost takes away from his pride of the work that they're doing out there. The second he just ignites, you know, or di- yeah, uh, yeah, I guess and you know what that makes sense to me. Yeah, he yeah, does. He right. likes a challenge in the in that yeah. of trying to solve it himself. So I guess so that. instead of taking the easy way out and yeah. just blowing it up, it's like he almost wants to walk back through the minefield by purposely leaving his gloves yeah. down there. I can see that. Yeah, and of course he takes the only mode of transportation <laughs> that they have. Yeah, so he takes the Humvee down there. If he were to go. Well, then they now have to walk all the way out of the middle of nowhere back to the camp. So it's um, so after that is when they're returning back and they come across... Uh, Realize Ralph. that might be the only reason they didn't detonate. Uh, that's true, it too. <laughs> so that's when they come across uh, Ralph Fiennes or Voldemort. Uh, and that's like, they're like contractors, right? They're like not actually like... Like a military team, they're like they're British mercenaries, mercenaries. British bounty hunters. Mercenaries, yeah, yeah, because they have that's when they they have those like the famous like playing cards with all like the people they're trying to catch. Yeah, and because they they're like, oh, we got so and so number the whatever they were on the cards. I didn't write that part down. Um, so they kind of stop to help them because they're having a they have an issue with their tire. They in their used vehicle. up their wrench. Yes, which is apparently British for throwing it at someone. <laughs> oh, oh, interesting! I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they stop. They're going to help them and like fix their tire, but then they come under fire. Um, their sniper is sitting in a in like a bunker, like an abandoned like house. a mile away. Yeah, like yeah, approximately a mile away. Yeah. So um, so they kind of all go for duck for cover. There's that great scene where the prisoners are kind of running away, <laughs> and uh, Voldemort gets up with his gun and like shoots both of them, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I forgot. It's five hundred thousand dead or alive." Yeah. So he didn't want the guys getting away. Um, but they're, so they're pinned down by the sniper. That's where, um, uh, Ralph Fiennes gets shot. Mm-hmm. Well, cause he's, they have a, their own like sniper rifle that they're trying to set yeah, up. Yeah. They have like take a big out. 50 caliber sniper rifle. So, um, so then, uh, Falcon takes it over and Jeremy Renner goes up to like spot for him yep. and they're, they're out of bullets. So they, they need the bullets to replace them, but, um, they need the, yeah, they need the extra magazine, but it's in, um, Ralph Fiennes. It's not on his body. It's on his body. And he's dead. He's laying there. Yeah. yeah. And so that's they have to go down and get him, but the bullets, they won't fit because they have the blood on them. So they're, they're covered like, in blood, so they're jamming. So that's when right. um, Hawkeye gets Eldridge to kind of clean the bullets, and he's like freaking out about this, but that's yeah. where you see, like you're introduced to more of that kind of like almost nurturing kind of like Jeremy Renner, or he's like talking him through it, and he's like, you're doing great, you know, and he kind of like really calms him down in that scene yep. and kind of like gets him back in the right mindset. Shows so thought, him what to do, coaches him through it, promises to keep him safe. And then a few minutes later, you see Eldridge step up, yeah, and protect his teammates. Yeah, there's a there's a there's another soldier that's kind of flanking them from behind some train tracks yeah. and trying to hit them from behind. And Eldridge sees him through this pack of goats that's wandering around. 
Right, and and also like while that's going on, like uh, like uh, Anthony Mackie and Jeremy Renner, they're kind of bonding too because they're up on the hill. He's helping them point out when to take the shots, and they're up there for like a really long time. Is what you get the impression for because yeah, they don't know if the sniper's gone, and they're out of food and water, and uh, and it's getting late in the day. Yeah, and they do a real good job of kind of conveying that because you can see like that they start like their skin and how their like eyes are looking and stuff like that because they're just waiting because they don't know if that last sniper's gone. There's or that not. shot with the fly on his yeah. eyelashes, <laughs> yeah. 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 and you can see like their lips are starting to crack. Yeah, so this is still where I see uh, James though. He leaves his team in the face of danger, so I. I always pick up okay he's nurturing right so yeah. he's he's trying to do this he's he's team building he's doing this for these certain actions very specific actions that are reaching out to show his team like oh hey i'm here for you all the while though he's slowly and meticulously while they have not seen are we still under fire are we still in threats you know way He's built like he's leaving his team out there. So I, I still struggle each one of these scenarios as we go through them. Yeah. There's always that element where even if I, I feel like if it's not to his certain level of um, danger, he will add a little to it. Like he'll stoke the fire just to see if I can push that to get his own adrenaline up. Yeah. Despite yeah, all of the right. secondary actions that I'm, are going on. I, th- I think you're right. And that especially comes to play in one of the, like the, one of the last vignettes in it, like his like kind of need to push it further kind of end disastrously for the oh, company. Yeah, absolutely. But we'll, we'll kind of get to that in a minute here. So, so they end up kind of, they, they, they sell they, they end up celebrating cause they get out of the situation. They seem to be bonded. They all get kind of drunk together. They talk a little bit about their personal lives. That's where we find out that uh, Hawkeye has that box and it's got basically parts of all the bombs that he's diffused over the years. It's like a, I can't. It's like a huge box, and it's all like triggers and parts and stuff like that. And then there's like a weird part. I can't remember what spikes it, but like him and Falcon take turns like punching each other. Yeah, that got real weird for a second. There. <laughs> real awkward. It's it an re- alpha male struggle. It, it reminded me uh, LPJ of um, uh, the the DMX movie we watched where they're tasering each other in the locker room. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> um, but that, so that's kind of the end of that vignette. Uh, the next one starts with 16 days left in the rotation. How do you take the I I. Still, the the scene there that we kind of just skipped over, um, when Sergeant James tackles Maggie. Yeah, that was weird. And then rides him like oh, a bull, yeah. right? <laughs> I, that just screams the difference in personalities. Yeah. But it really brings out, like, Maggie's overwhelming urge to control every scenario. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, you're yeah. right. Because he's... He's a rule follower. Yeah. He, he does what he's told. He does what he's commanded to do in battle. But he sticks to the rules. His job is to keep his superior safe and specialist Eldridge safe. And he takes it super seriously. Yeah, you're right. I, I see it also as he can't see outside of the box. If he's, he can't. If he's no. not following the process, he's completely lost. Because he knows what his protocol is. The military says, this is what you do. And that's what he does. He yeah. is a good soldier. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so again, so then we jump to 16 days left in the rotation. That's when that, uh, the Dr. Colonel guy, uh, he decides he's gonna, <laughs> Dr. Colonel, I don't know what they call him, the Colonel guy. Um, and I don't, somebody helped me out with the uh, military ranks. That guy's a Colonel. He's a Lieutenant Colonel. And the other guys are sergeants. How does yes. that fit into? Uh, Lieutenant Colonels are higher than sergeants. Okay. All right. Thanks. <laughs> okay. Probably should have figured that out. But um, so he wants to ride along with them. Uh, they're going to go pick up. They're basically just be going to pick up some like unused 
ordinance, right? Isn't that how they describe it? Yeah, I think so. Um, and that's where we kind of skipped over, but there's like a through line through all these vignettes where on the base, there's a, a young kid basically selling like bootleg DVDs and uh, Jeremy Renner's character is kind of bonding with them. He buys DVDs from them and one of them, he plays soccer with them. The kid's like, oh, call me Beckham because I'm really good at soccer. So like he's kind of in all this and you kind of see some more of like the human side, not human side, but more like normal non like adrenaline junkie Jeremy Renner when he's kind of bonding with this kid. So when they go to this uh like warehouse to get this unexploded ordinance, they find which is probably the grossest thing in the movie for me. It's like they call it like a, a body bomb. Yep. And it's essentially like uh the body of this kid who they think is that Beckham, the kid from the um, military base and it's been he's dead and they've sewed a, sewed a bomb into his chest cavity, right. which is like whoa. Okay, so do you die because they put the bomb in you, or do they kill you and then put the bomb in you? I would think they kill you, and then, kill you the and then put the bomb in you. Yeah, okay. I think that's it. And I would assume that'd be like you'd hide it in there and then lay that somewhere, and people wouldn't expect that I have a bomb in it. Yeah, or or someone's collecting the body, and they take it back to like the military base, oh, okay. or whatever it is they take it, and then they detonate it. Okay, that makes okay. sense. That's good, though. And they're kind of just like, well, let's just leave it. But Jeremy Renner, again, is like, well, no, he has to, like, cut the bomb. He, like, cuts the bomb out of the body, which is, like, a scene that I had a hard time watching when he's, like, yeah. cutting those stitches and, like, digging into the chest cavity to get the bomb out of it. It was it was a little bit much. Couldn't do it. <laughs> so I, I definitely looked away. I, I still go back to the struggle of he looks like he's sitting there with you know emotionally breaking and and I'm pretty sure he did right going by the next few scenes in the movie but sure then that urge overtakes him wait wait this is a bomb yeah this is still what I'm here to do this is still a challenge I still need to find you know which thread is the one that actually sets this off and so it's interesting to see him as he starts out with this humility of okay let's just take the body or, or rather excuse me let's just blow this thing up yeah and be done with it and then he's like no wait i still have to take out this challenge well Can't i think i think in that scene it's different i think there it's more he wants to remove the bomb so he can take the body back to whoever his parents are so they can have his body back because if they blow it his body's gone, and then they have nothing to bury. There's no closure for his right. family. I think, it, I think in that moment, just because it's that one particular, he thinks it's that one particular kid, that it's about providing his family with some kind of closure. I could see that. Yeah, I, could, I, I see where you're going with that, yeah. So um, while this is going on, the, the colonel doctor, lieutenant colonel doctor is outside. And he's trying to get these people to like move their cart. They're like lo- loading rocks into a cart. And he's like a really nice guy. And he's trying to get them to move. And they don't really want to. He see, they they'd mentioned that he hadn't been out in the field. So he didn't really know what was really going on there. And right. so he takes it as a challenge to kind of go out and see what is really going out there. And you can tell he's very fish out of water. I mean, he's real. He doesn't really know how to deal with these people. Right. He's dealing with them like a psychologist and not like a soldier. Right. And it ends up there's a bomb where he is, I think, in that cart that explodes, and he's gone. Like, he's dead. <laughs> like, he's so close to the explosion that there's not anything of him left at Yeah, all. he's obliterated. Because that's where, like, Elders is really upset, and he's like, we got to find him, we got to find him. And Hawkeye's like, no, he's he's gone. So, and this, so this kind of, and someone's going to have to help talk me through this because this kind of leads into the most confusing sequence of the movie for me. I agree. And I was still kind of trying to figure out the next part. So I don't know. They go back to the base. Um, Jimmy Runner's very upset about because he thinks the kid's dead. 
So he sees the guy that, like, the the man that he was selling DVDs for, and he's, like, asking about the kid, like, where is he? And he's saying that he doesn't know. But then, so the guy's leaving for the day, and Jeremy Renner gets in his car and basically holds him at gunpoint. Carjacks him. Yeah, carjacks him and is, like... He wants them to take him to where he is. To or the kid's house. To the, to the kid's, kid's house. house. Right. So then he drives him somewhere, and then he, he breaks into this house, and he kind of like, it, but it's this guy, this professor, Nabil. Sure. But it's like, why does he drive him to that house? That's. I could, think it was just like, okay, yeah, this is the kid's house, thinking he'll get out and he can leave. Okay. I think would, it was just one of those situations where, yeah, I'll just tell him it's this guy's house. And then I'm going to leave. Okay. Which that's is what exactly I, what happens. Okay. Well, yeah, I just couldn't figure out if we were, it was supposed to be like, oh, he drove him to that particular house for a reason. Because, like, why do they go through the whole thing of, like, introducing that guy? And he's like, oh, I'm Professor Nabil. And, you're like, I, it just seemed weird to me. I didn't quite get that sequence. That was the most kind of jarring, strange part of the movie for me. Yeah. I think it was just a situation where the guy being held at gunpoint just wanted Jeremy running out of his car. Because he does take off because he tells him, he's like, hey, wait for me. And then immediately the guy's like, drives off as soon as he leaves. So um, that scene, like I said, that was the one that I struggled with the most as far as like, wait, what's going on in this scene? And why is it in the movie? But I guess it's just supposed to be more for Jeremy Renner's character and mindset and that sort of thing. Well, given that uh, Nabil can speak however many languages, four or five, whatever he was rattling off, maybe the guy actually knew that he'd be able to communicate with Renner. Yeah. And so that's where he took him. Oh, that could be too. Yeah. Because his statement was, I don't know. Right. Yeah. And of course, you're going to question wait, does he actually know how to speak English? Right. And he even asks, have we done a background check? Right. On these people. So there is that other opportunity that he dropped him off there purposely, knowing that this is an educated man within our community. And if there's anyone out here who could reach him, communicate with him, and help him with what he's looking for, yeah. maybe that's the house. Okay. Yeah, could yeah. be. No, that's I think, good. I good think point. that's a good explanation. Yeah. Uh, so he ends up having to, like, run back to the base, like, through the city at night, and he has some trouble getting back into the base. Well, because that's a big deal. You're, you are not supposed to leave the base. Yeah. Uh, outside, yeah of, outside of quarantine. I'm outside not- of uh, uh, curfew, I mean. Yeah. He eventually tells him that he was at, like, a whorehouse. Yeah. And the guy lets him in, but he's like, well, you have to tell me where that place is. That One you're at. stipulation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so they end up, but then, like, he gets there and then immediately has to go back out because there's been a, like, a tank, a tanker explosion in the green zone is what they say. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, so they so they go there and they're trying to figure out if this was, like, a suicide bombing, if someone, like, blew this up on purpose. And this was, to me, like, the, the whole movie looks great, but this particular sequence to me was the one that stood out to me as like looking like it was so shot so well and looked so great with like the fire and the burning and like it just like it, it looked beautiful like that was like the whole movie looked good but <laughs> it literally says in my notes beautiful shot like with that barren tree yeah. and the flames flanking mm-hmm. yeah, it, it you're just like this is this is good filmmaking oh it was great it was phenomenal uh but the um the the rawness the reality of that tanker explosion it was like a news footage yeah. i mean it, it was so realistic well they said in um i have it somewhere here in my notes it says that they shot this on uh like a lot of handheld like yeah, super 16, 16 millimeter cameras because yeah. they wanted to make it look like documentary footage mm-hmm. so um and uh i do have a kind of a pop quiz kind of related to this pop quiz, you may shot. have come across this but do you know how many hours of footage was shot for this movie i do Okay. Do you know? 14. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Brad, do you have a guess? 16. I think 200 that's hours. Yeah. They, yeah. Shot, they shot 200 hours of footage for this yeah. movie. So What is a normal movie? Uh, uh, I would oh, think- wait, wait. Let me rephrase that. 
what is the normal footage captured for a two-hour, five-minute movie? I, well, I would think, I guess I don't have a specific average, well, but I think 200's kind of a 200's a lot, and especially because there's virtually no scenes that were cut. So they had a lot of shots of, you know, a lot of multiple cameras on the same yeah, scene. Yeah, because they shoot like three or four or even more sometimes of these handled cameras they'd used to film the scenes at the same time. Right. So they had, but almost none of the film was, I, in fact, I think every single scene that they shot is in the film. It was just they shot it with so many different cameras that they right. had so many different, so. They had a lot to use. Right. Um, so while they're investigating this, uh, Jimmy Runner thinks it's like a remote debt. Like he, he thinks that it was detonated from far away and he kind of makes everybody else in the company kind of look for who did it. They kind of wander and they're like, I think it's even, it might even be Falcon is like, Hey, there's, you know, there's guys just over there. That's what they do. This isn't our job. But again, that's where Jimmy Runner is like, Mm got to get his fix almost. And he's like, no, we're going to go do this. We're going to go find these guys ourselves. This is actually the first time he makes a mistake. Yeah. yeah it's, By going after the guy. I think he's so angry, so frustrated that he couldn't save his friend, he couldn't save Beckham, that he willingly puts his team in danger. But did you notice? Eldridge is the one who suggests going after the bomb maker. Oh. It's not James. So here, yeah. here you see James's influence on Eldridge for the first time. Well, then I think Eldridge feels bad because he he feels responsible for the colonel dying. So lieutenant colonel to, doctor? Oh, yeah, yeah, lieutenant colonel doctor. Both of those cracked that day. I, I agree. Yep. And, and so, it was such a stupid decision to split up. Yeah, because there's like three alleyways and they're like, we're going to split up and each go down one. Yeah. And it ends up like in the process. So Eldridge gets shot and captured by two dudes who are kind of taking him off. And uh, Falcon and Hawkeye end up rescuing him, but he's he he was previously shot in the leg, right? He doesn't get shot no, in the rescue attempt. Jeremy Renner shoots him. Oh, okay. And that's what I wasn't sure about. That wasn't clear to me. I wasn't I wasn't I sure. I had that he, same question too. I yeah. wasn't okay. So when they're rescuing him, that's how he gets shot. Jer- yeah. yeah, Jeremy Renner shoots him. Okay, shoot. I did not I did not realize that. But that when that, they're airlifting him, he thanks him for saving his life. But this is what happens when your femur shattered in nine places. Yeah, and um, so they they that's the part where they they go back to the barracks and. Hawkeye takes a shower with all his gear on. That's kind of like, I feel like one of the, I mean, there's a couple of times that that's the one time we kind of see like a real like emotional break from him. Like, yep. I still want to go back to the shooting though. There were three shots, two kills and one fractured femur. (laughs) Yeah. How do you take that? (laughs) Two, two kill shots while the man is moving against two moving targets which shot was the first one? The first kill or the leg? Because that's going to shift the whole weight distribution, right? So you have all of these kind of uh, variables in this. I just find it very interesting that he chose to shoot him in the leg. Maybe he chose to shoot him in the leg. Maybe he watched Speed and he's like, shoot the hostage. <laughs> I would say that maybe he's like, he knows that he wants to go home. But I mean, they were pretty close to the end of the rotation at that point. So yeah, I don't know. But he's uh, Hawkeye's kind of upset. He takes a shower with his gear on. They, um, uh, they he finds out that uh, Beckham's still alive, like kind of like the next day. But he's like he he really distances himself because he's like, hey, you want to buy a DVD? You want to play soccer? And he's like, ah, no. Like he's right. kind of, and that's when you find out that Eldridge is going home. That his leg is all messed up, and he's pretty pissed at Hawkeye about it. Yep. <laughs> um, so that takes us to what is kind of almost our last vignette. That we're we're two days left in the uh, Bravo Company rotation. 
Um, they're basically brought out to an incident where there's a bomb strapped to a guy's uh, chest in the street, and he's supposedly an innocent guy. Like he's not like a suicide bomber. Like somebody took him and strapped this bomb to his chest. Right, unwillingly. forced him to to wear it. Yeah, so he's like, he, they're trying to calm the scene down. The guy's obviously freaking out, and, and uh, Hawkeye goes out there to try and defuse it, but it's like it's like locked to his body. Like, they try to get the bolt cutters, but the locks are so strong in this that they can't even really get through them. And the, there's a there's a watch. There's like a countdown. It's on a, it's on a timer, timer yep. and they only have like two minutes in order to mm-hmm. get out of there. So he's trying as hard as he can, and he kind of waits to like the last possible minute, but he's like, he can't. He can't do it because he gets through one of the locks, but there's still like three or four more. Yep. And it, it, they they get out of there and everyone gets to cover, but the dude, the bomb goes off and they, they lose the dude. He dies. And I think uh, Renner gets caught a little bit in the explosion. Yeah, he gets hurt a little bit. But not um, not too bad. He lives. Um, and that's kind of when they're riding home from that one. That's when Falcon kind of, he kind of breaks down after all this and is just like, he can't handle the stress of the job anymore. He's like, I want to go home. He's like, I want to have a son. You know, he's like, if I were to die here, like who would care? He's like, no one at this point in my life would care. And, um, it, it's kind of like a, when you kind of between the two characters, cause he's kind of having this breakdown and talking about all the stuff. And he's like, how do you, how do you do it? And, you know, like going out there every day, knowing that we could die. And Jimmy Renner is just kind of like, I don't, I don't really think about it. Yeah. It's like, it's like a second. He has no second thoughts about doing it. Yeah. And so, so that's like, so that's kind of the end of that. Um, we kind of polar opposites, though, right? You've got the guy who does have um, maybe a wife, right? But they talked about that. She's earlier. an ex-wife. So, uh, yeah. a, a wife and a, a child at home who is, aka, wild man. Yeah. And then you have the guy next to him who doesn't seem to be that attached to his girlfriend because he's like, ah, she's totally wants something I don't, and. They approach this all differently, right? When you would think uh, yeah, Renner is the guy who would be frantic because he to has home, something yeah. to live for and get out of there, and it's just a complete uh, role yep. uh, reversal. Well, and that's kind of shown to us in like our kind of our closing segment of the movie is where it's Jeremy Renner at home with uh, Evangeline Lilly or the Wasp, if you will, who's is like they're not married or it's ex-wife. It's his ex-wife that still lives in the house and his son, and they kind of show him doing like a lot of mundane things, like he's grocery shopping, and it's like you can kind of tell that he's just disassociated with like the whole thing. Like he's trying to tell stories about like bombs that they defuse and stuff like that, and he's just not. And she's like, "Here, cut these carrots." Yeah, he's like not there at all. Yep. He doesn't understand how to have a normal life. Right. Even even with he's like there and he's like he's like talking to his son and like there's that, you know, he just he's that speech he gives about like and I don't have all of it where he's talking about like, oh, you love so many things, but like as you get older there's less and less things that you love, you know? Yeah. When and they start to come to light what they actually are to you. Yeah. Um, as you get older as you see new experiences, right? And so yeah, I think his comment is this is just a, a tin box yeah. with a little stuffed animal in it. That was the scariest scene in the movie, <laughs> by the way. It was the jack in the box. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I and I almost feel like what what he was kind of getting at is like the only thing that I still really love doing is being over there and diffusing these bombs. That's that exactly what he said. Like that's yep. that's the one thing that I have. So the the last scene in the movie is like him and he's touching down, he's back overseas, and we see that it's He's now in Delta Company, and there's 365 days left in their rotation. Yep. So they so. created the horizon. I like that, actually, right? Because he's walking into a horizon that they made just with the camera angle. Yeah. As he's walking you know, down the middle of a road, but just the way they position it, um, you see him going into the sunset. Like right. One more mission, and, of course, they gave us the count back, and yeah. he's, he's signed way. up for an entire year. Yeah. 
And, yep. that, and that's and that's how the movie ends with just him kind of back there for another year rotation. Just a a man who doesn't know how to exist when he's not there, diffusing these bombs. Basically, is what mm-hmm. we're given. So, so. What, are you, what are you guys' overall thoughts on this movie? Um, you know, I have to say, I did enjoy it. I I'm not a big like war movie guy. Like I don't generally gravitate toward them. And I and I knew that this movie existed. And I remember it getting a lot of acclaim. So when you told me that we were going to watch it, I was kind of like, uh, I wasn't really sure. I kind of hemmed and hawed, but I will say this. It was a lot. I got through it a lot faster than I thought. Like I thought, cause sometimes when I watch movies for this podcast, I had to break them up a lot cause I'm taking notes. So it's, it could be like a four time process of me watching parts of it, but this was like only two. I watched the first half and then the next night I watched the second half and I did enjoy it. I, I, I liked it a lot. I mean, I probably have some deeper thoughts when we talk about our rating, but I, I did enjoy it. I liked it. We, um, I watched it with Brad and we watched it through the first time because I wanted that experience of just watching this movie without taking notes for the podcast. And we got, we finished and it was just like, wow, you felt like you were there. Just that fourth person on the team perspective, um, the way that it was shot documentary style, um, some of the things that happened were not realistic, like when he picks up the octopus bomb. <laughs> I mean, those things are probably like 70 pounds a piece, and he's doing it with one arm. But overall, how it was shot, the character development, the, the tension that exists between the team members, which I thought drove the plot more than the actual vignettes drove the plot. I mean, I, yeah. I have really nothing, <laughs> nothing bad to say. Yeah, I liked how they worked on the character development and then the uh, interpersonal struggles, intra and interpersonal struggles, um, more so than making it like a blood and gore type yeah. movie. It, w- it was diff- It was definitely not like a. I mean, I want to say a traditional war movie, but it definitely was more about. It's more of a the, drama. It was more about these characters and kind of just the. And that was the thing that kind of hit me. That it was like the 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 thing that there's people that that's what they do. Like this isn't like some made up thing. There's people who are over there, and that's their life is to go and defuse these bombs every day. And that's just that's what really was like to me. It was like wow, that's crazy that people do that in real life and just put themselves in that situation. Like you said, ten, fifteen times a day where they have to go out and defuse these bombs. Yeah, yeah, I I would agree. I mean, the more we talk about the movie, I think the more I appreciate it. I don't know. I, I don't. I didn't dislike it at all. I enjoyed the movie. Yeah. But I didn't necessarily see. I didn't see the greatness of it. Oh, I don't think. I think it's the, the cinematography. Now, but now that we're talking about it, now I'm starting to piece it more together, and, and I'm 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 starting to remember things that I. I don't know that I necessarily missed, but I'm appreciating more of it now that we're talking about right. it. Right. That I'm really kind of getting yeah. down to the roots and of I, it. And I think that happens sometimes with these movies where you, you kind of feel one way about them, but when you're when you kind of sit here and talk about them and kind of you're like, oh wait, maybe I've changed my mind yeah. about <laughs> what I'm feeling on this. Yeah, from the very beginning though, the movie tells you what its agenda is. That Chris Hedges quote that comes up. Oh yeah. Um, the rush of battle is a potent and almost lethal addiction. Sure. War is a drug. It tells you from that first shot what the what the theme is going to be, what yeah. it's setting out to do, and it does. No, I agree, and I think I think Jeremy Renner's performance really exemplifies that. Yeah. And speaking of Jeremy Renner's performance, I want to get into a little bit of role reversal. Oh, role reversal. Role reversal is I'm going to name an actor that either was up for the role and uh, 
was turned down for it or passed on the role. Okay. And then you're going to tell me if you think the movie would have been better or worse. Now, I only found three names, and they didn't really attribute the names to any particular character. One will be able to know for sure. Um, so we'll just kind of have to piece them in there. So the first one was Colin Farrell. I'm assuming that would have been for the Jeremy Renner. I think role. so, oh, too. No, yeah. no. I think it would have been Jeremy. Well, I think that, that that's who they would have wanted to play in the movie. Well, oh, these three people were... I disagree. These three people were initially cast in the movie, and then they switched, They changed the cast after the fact. Okay. The fact that I'm not a Colin Farrell fan says <laughs> I would have cast him at Guy Pierce's role <laughs> to kill him as quickly as possible. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, I think, I, I, I mean, I could see him in this role. I could see him in this role, but I don't think he would have been better than Jeremy Renner. No, 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 no. I don't think it would have been a better movie, but I, I, I think it would. I, I could see him playing that part. Sure. It's in his range, it's I feel like. Jeremy Renner all the way. <laughs> uh, Willem Dafoe. Now, obviously, he's older, so I would assume maybe the maybe the colonel. Lieutenant Colonel Doctor? Possibly, or Ralph Fiennes' role. Yeah. I don't know. It, oh. it would have to be, I would assume, the older role. Yeah. I could, yeah, I, I could see him as Colonel Cambridge. He's yeah. the guy who got blown up with the donkey cart. Yeah, yeah. I could, I could see that as well. I could see that. Yeah. I don't know if it would necessarily be better or worse, but the character's <laughs> not really in it a whole lot. Yeah, so. that's true. Uh, it would have gone along with the theme of famous people being in it for like five minutes and getting blown up. Yeah. It totally would or be. killed at least. Uh, Charlize Theron. So I assume that would have been the Evangeline Lilly role. Her part was so small yeah, it was that tiny. it wouldn't have made a difference. I agree. Which um, is interesting when you watch the credits roll, right? I mean. She was the fifth one labeled something. Of well, the there's nature, only right? because there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Most eight, nine, people ten, in the movie, there's only right? eleven Wait. named characters. Well, I the think rest, yeah. none of them are named. I think because yeah, because I think if you minus the main three characters, there's nobody that has that. I and mean, that the, was one of the things that was so right. So um, to see that and to, to kind of step back and when you once you saw the credits roll, yeah, to put that in perspective, right? That's how how focused we were on just three people that. Right. Everyone really does. They just kind of walk right to the background. Yeah. Well, it felt like an independent film. Yeah. Part of what makes the movie work is that the casting is three relatively unknown actors. I mean, at, at this point, Jeremy yeah. Renner is not That's true. super I guess, famous. I, this is what made him. Yeah, and I didn't even really think about it that way because I think about how I know them now, but this was 2008, 2000. Yeah, so yeah. it's so it's like, This is what anything. makes the movie so good is that you take these relatively unknowns and it's not about the action. It's not about the bomb defusal. It's about the relationship. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if Brian Garrity, is that that's the guy's name, is waiting for his part in a Marvel movie. <laughs> I think it has to be hey at guys. this point. Um, uh, a couple of things that I just have in my notes that we didn't touch on is that this was all shot in location in Jordan is where they shot it. Um, did, did anyone come across, because I, I found this in my research here, what the, the that the, kind of the title of the movie, The Hurt Locker, like what it refers to? Oh, or? that was going to be my pop quiz. Oh, all right. Well, it still can be. I will, I'll, you know the answer. I'll, I'll abstain. But I don't. I'll I, abstain. I, I do actually kind of Oh. <laughs> well, I don't want to step on your toes, but my, my right, pop, so pop quiz, quiz was going to be, what's a Hurt Locker? <laughs> what, what's the significance? What do you think it is, LPJ? Well, the, the Hurt Locker is... Uh, like where they set, it's what they, what they, when they, when a soldier gets injured, they're sent to the hurt locker. Okay, that's not what I had for no? mine. Okay. <laughs> Is that a serious statement? Huh? Mine said it, my, the research I did said it was a pre existing slang for a, a term, uh, a pre existing slang term for a situation involving trouble or pain. That's what I came across for it. What do you have, Miss Pop Quiz? Uh, Joe is the closest to what I have. It's a place of deep pain and discomfort. To be put in the hurt locker signifies that something profoundly, profoundly troubling or painful has happened to you. I read a BBC article, uh, so I'm like, oh, this is this is interesting. Ooh, la, la. So I read a BBC article 
uh, that basically just says a hurt locker is similar to the phrase world of pain or world of hurt. And then there was some commentary from our screenwriter, Mark Bowl, that he says the hurt locker is different things to different people. But basically, it boils down to the same idea. It's someplace you don't want to be. Huh. You know what like, you know Sergeant Slaughter thinks it is? <laughs> a ditty bag. <laughs> an itty bitty ditty bag. Hey, uh, LBJ, if you want to throw this in our in Dave's face, you know Dave's always giving you crap about mistakes that you make in the podcast. He certainly is. He, I asked him after I watched this. I said, "Hey, what 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 is the Hurt Locker? Why do you say it?" He's like, "Yeah, I think it's that it's the the, the box that Jeremy Runner keeps all the <laughs> parts of the explosives <laughs> in. Like that's the Hurt Locker because those are the bombs that almost blew him up." So, take that, Dave, you <laughs> dumbass. Is it the suit? <laughs> yeah, it's the suit. It's the suit. It's. See, this is why Dave's never going to be on the show. <laughs> um, and, and I think the only thing I had in my notes that we didn't touch on and I thought was interesting, they said that this was the the lowest grossing best picture winner like ever. And yeah, they, even and they, adjusted yeah, for inflation. They said even if you adjust it for, since they've been keeping track of box office totals, even if you adjust it for inflation, like movies from the 60s and stuff like that, still earned more money than uh, this one. Based on when it won the Oscar. Right, okay. Right. But still. That's because after the fact, that it made more, it ended up making more money after afterward that yeah but that's still an interesting fact to me sure i also i also thought of, this was i'm not going to make this a pop quiz because it's insane but one of the facts i found was that it was the third best picture winner to premiere uh the year before it qualified for academy award consideration i saw that <laughs> so i could say like hey pop quiz what are the other two but you would never get them they were um unless you have them in your notes oh. <laughs> you were reaching for notes i'm like oh she has it it was casablanca and crash were the two movies so interesting so there you go not that fun but i thought i'd put it out there All right. <laughs> so what, you think we're ready to rate this thing i think so All right, well, we usually let our guests decide who goes first. So either we can go first or you can go first. Punky uh, Ninja just pointed at me. What am I going first for? Oh, you so should explain gonna, the rating system. So the rating system, we rate on machine gun scale one to or zero to five, and you can do half machine guns. So five being the best. Oh. Um. <laughs> we can come back to you. Okay, I, I no, can I, go. I, I would say four. Four? Do I give an explanation? If you want to, yeah. yeah absolutely. Absolutely. I, I really like the cinematography. Uh, I like the first-person point of view right from the get-go. Um, the different camera angles, and we talked about how many different cam cameras they had, but I felt like they always gave you the point of view of somebody in the scene. And whether it was a little kid who was up, you know, hiding in a window way, watching these guys do their work, or whether it was the, uh, you know, uh, Eldridge looking through the the monitor as he's trying to drive, um, you know, the little uh, the rover in the opening scene. Right, each each camera angle to me gave you the point of view of somebody who is in that moment. Right, um, if you step back, look at how few songs there were, but how many noises there were. Yeah. The noises put you back in the scene the entire time. Right, it it allowed you to focus on what was important, and that's. That's what they themselves are experiencing, which again draws you back into it. You hear the planes, you hear the tanks, you hear the screams, you're there. You can hear the crackle of the fire, right, and the, the car fire yeah. or the, the last explosion. Mm -hmm. um, the other stuff is the, the slow-mo photography of it. So when you watch that um, empty case 
come out, hit the ground as it slowly pivots over, right? There's that moment of you're drawing your own breath in, but you could actually relate that back to how quickly this is actually, right? I mean, you kind of have to step back to realize how fast this is happening. And then they mo- then they come on to the next scene, right? It's the same thing when you actually watch the pulse of the bomb and uh, all the dirt just shoot off that old right. yeah. um, car. It it almost takes you back and then it it allows you to come back in. And the second you think about it, you're like, wow, that happened so fast, right? And then you kind of see what is the next scene and how fast are the people actually reacting to this or what's going on next. So it, it, I found it very interesting, top to bottom, right? And and again, the fact that they didn't do, um, you know, a huge blood gory scene, yeah. right? I mean, you, we looked at all these sniper shots, right? I mean, that's going to blow your shoulder off basically at that size of a caliber, but they don't focus on that, right? It's a clean shot in guy drops right they they want you to see that 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 there is death but they don't want to draw you away like oh it's just a blood and gore movie right and so i think it goes back to right they're really building on what's happening right and then the way the people see it and then how quickly everything moves around them in that moment so that's that's why i gave it a four i really liked it from that side i agree i'll go next um yeah i i 100 agree it's just beautiful filmmaking I mean, just from top to bottom, especially the fact that it was what fifteen million dollars. They got. I actually have it as eleven million. So yeah, eleven, whatever it is. They shot the hell out of this movie. I mean, the, everything is so beautifully done. There's no way. There's nothing wasted in this movie. And and obviously every scene is in it that they shot. Right. Um. But you're right. I, I would absolutely say this is a four. Um. I. If I go back and watch it, I may even revise it to like a four and a half. But it, it, right here, sitting right now, I'm going to say a four. Okay. Do you want to go next? Oh, do you want- <laughs> I, I can go next. Uh, but I think you guys might have talked me into increasing my rating. Um, I totally agree. There is not a lot I didn't like about the film. Uh, things I liked were girl power, that there's this is a female directing this action movie. Um, I liked that the movie was driven by the central relationship between the team members more so than the actual violence. I liked that the movie set out to draw parallels between war as a drug and addiction, and I think it does successfully. Just beautiful cinematography, that shot that Brad talked about with that that case hitting the ground and just spinning up. Um, there's that shot that we'd mentioned earlier of the the barren tree with the flames around it, and then the shot of the kite on just the crystal clear blue sky when um, Sergeant James is on his back after the uh, body bomb, yeah, this the suicide bomber. It's just absolutely gorgeous, just gorgeous filmmaking. I was at four and a half. I might be jumping up to five machine guns. Whoa. Right. <laughs> I'll allow it. I really, this is not my style movie at all. I am not a war movie person. Yeah. I, but I really, I, I surprised myself by how much I enjoyed this movie. Um, and I guess that leaves me to go last. And I, I like I kind of said up front, I wasn't necessarily looking forward to watching this. You know, war movies aren't something I gravitate toward. That being said, I did really enjoy this movie. And kind of for a lot of the things that you guys talk about, it's it's definitely it's it's a well shot movie. It's it's gritty and it's just I mean, it, it's amazing the movie that they made with what they had. 
Um, I think the only thing that holds me back on giving this a higher rating, and I and I say this with the ut- utmost respect for the movie, is because I did love the movie and I think it's great. But I don't know. I don't see this being a movie that I would ever like revisit per se. Like I've seen it and I enjoyed it, but I just I don't. It's not a movie for me that I would go back and be like, oh, I'm gonna watch. You know, it's two months later and time to watch The Hurt Locker again, which doesn't take away from that. I think it's a great movie. It's just for me, it's not one that I think I would revisit again. Interesting, because I would say this is a movie that, now that we've talked about it, I kind of do want to watch it again, just to pick up on the things that I missed. I think it's one of those ones that might benefit from a second watching. I mean, maybe. I could I could see what you're saying, but I'm just saying my personal take on it. So um, I, I would give it a three and a half with uh, an option to move it up to four, okay. depending on how it sits with me. Sure. But I, 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 I don't say that derogatory because I do, did really enjoy it and it really did change my mind about, you know, going into it was like, I'm not going to like this. And I'm like, oh, no, it's, it's great. It's really good. And I think people should see it if they haven't. I'm going to second LPJ. You should watch it again. <laughs> we watched it twice for this podcast. Like I said, the first time just straight through to get that cinema experience and then the second time to take notes. And you do pick up on things that you didn't notice and it makes you appreciate it on another level. Well, I, I will take that into account. Unfortunately, uh, LPJ's got me watching too many movies for this damn podcast. <laughs> I do. <laughs> so it's hard to find yeah. time to watch. I had a rough time watching these three this Anything. Week. So, um, but no, I, I understand what you guys are saying. And I, you know, probably if if we had a, if we were talking about this for another half hour, I could you could probably sway me up to the four. I'm not that far away from a four sure. machine gun on this, right, I will fair say. Enough. I just want to know next time you watch it, because it's going to happen. What is Eldridge's Hurt Locker? <laughs> His? <laughs> Life. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, I guess. I'd imagine just his, his situation. That's his, essentially what it is. His leg. Yeah. yeah. At this point, I'd say it's his leg. <laughs> it's probably, they probably had to amputate. Oof. Ugh. No, the doctor said he was going to be okay and of he'd course walk again in that. six months. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, he was going home, but he seemed pissed. It was like I was pretty close to going home anyway, so I could have done without getting shot in the leg. Doc also said that uh, Duke slipped into a coma, but we all know what really happened. <laughs> Stop pushing your G.I. Joe agenda on the podcast. So I'm going to plug episode three of the last action podcast, G.I. Joe, the animated movie. That, that's also the episode that I wish that I was on the most that I didn't get to be on. I know. So. I mean, you'll have to uh, take me to an action court on that one. <laughs> but like this time, I just agree with you. I think you should have given it a higher rating. <laughs> I think we gave it a five. Oh, okay. All right. Well. I'm fairly certain. Uh, well, Sarah, Brad, I, I'm sorry. Uh, Punky Ninja. Punky Ninja. Thank Brad, thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for so bringing much. us the movie. Yeah, I thank, was thank you pleasantly for, surprised yeah, for surprise I, I think that, and that shows it's it's kind of crazy that none of us had seen this prior to and we all came out with this kind of glowing reviews of it. So. No, I agree. Anything yeah. that you, you want to plug? Anything? <laughs> the Humane Society? Vegetarianism? <laughs> anything. Plug um, everyone. I will say that there are two notes that I have written down that say cat with broken paw, frowny face, dirty sad cat, frowny face. <laughs> oh yeah. There I, was also a lot of bloody carcasses in this movie and I still liked it. I, I noticed that cat with the paw. That kind of made me sad too when it yep. was hopping along. Yeah, that bummed me out. I do I instantly thought, oh Sarah's not gonna like this. <laughs> it didn't, but it, it didn't impact my opinion of the movie overall. Fair enough. Fair enough. Anyone hey, wanna plug? No, I don't. Shameless plugs for me. All right, what do you want to plug? Uh, I want to plug how well you plug all the other podcasts (laughs) on the Gamezilla Media Network. 
You motherfucker. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Well, you do so good, LPJ. Oh, all right. Well, we are part of the GameZilla Media Network. We release every Monday, which I'm sure you know. You're listening to the show right now. Yeah. Uh, and there's plenty of other podcasts. There's the GameZilla podcast. There's Noobs and Dragons, Legend of Retro, Noiseland Arcade, Bob and Beck's Arcade Blast. Movie, and movie Blast. Movie Blast. Bo- Arcade Blast. <laughs> movie Blast. <laughs> Shit. Bob and Beck's show. Go watch. The, go listen to that one. You're making me look like an idiot, but I said you're so good at it. It's late. <laughs> it's late. It's late. I've had a rough week. All right. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. And uh, so check us out, and and please help us out on Patreon. Uh, Even $1 will get you a bunch of extra content, the ability to vote on a million different things that we have, uh, and and you'll get early access to shows. You'll get extra shows like the aforementioned Action uh, Court, Court, which Joe took me to over the movie uh, The The Thomas Thomas Jane Punisher. Yep. And if you want to listen to LPJ basically yell at me for a half hour, that's your episode to go to. (laughs) That is. I essentially essentially browbeat you into losing the argument. And then friend of the podcast, Jody, stabbed me in the back. Uh-huh. It yeah. was pretty great. I, was, yeah, it was really, I felt very vindicated. So, But you're only going to hear it if you're a Patreon. So. That's right. So so help us out on Patreon. We would really appreciate it. And uh, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. Twitter. We're definitely there. Twitter. And on, and on the... Um, Social and on iTunes. <laughs> no, no I, I'm, <laughs> I'm drawing Spotify. a blank. The, uh, no, I'm just... The website? No, on the billboards. Um, They're not on the my thing. Space. That's the app on the phone. Blimps. Is the, it on the line? Stitcher. The app on the phone that it's easier to get a hold of you on than real life. Oh, Discord. The Discord. The Discord. <laughs> easier to get a hold of me. You're right. I am easier to get a hold of on Discord. The yeah, Discord. Join Check our us Discord. Out. Yeah, you can talk to us directly on Discord. Even Hovercraft Joe is on it now. I am on. I am on. Yeah. And he actually responds. It's pretty I, great. I will respond. Yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, check us out. We're we're on all kinds of social media. So we're there. Yeah. Well, in that case, uh, I would say we've wrapped this thing up pretty good. Yeah, in a nice little bow. We did, indeed. And uh, this episode of the Last Action Podcast has been terminated. But we'll be back. 